All right, listen, guys, I get it. Many of you are unable to financially support this ministry because you're spending your cash and your lives on raising young children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Praise God for you and that endeavor. However, algorithms are a thing. Shadow banning, sadly, is a thing. And one major way that you can help to expand the reach and effectiveness of this ministry that doesn't cost you a dime is by spending just a few moments leaving us a five-star review. Also, perhaps even more effective than that, you can share our podcast with a friend. We hope you'll take the time to do so. Thank you so much. God bless. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're listening to Daily Truth. When we consider the larger context of the the preceding chapters, namely Hebrews chapter 10 and 11, the two chapters that run right before our text today, what weight and corresponding sin would most likely be hindering these Christians, these Hebrew Christians, remember that, that's significant, these Hebrew Christians, their ability to run with endurance the race that is set before them? What weight and corresponding sin, right? This is meant to be connected. Again, go back to the text, second half of verse one. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Now, this is not the same thing. These are two different things. It's, it's not weight slash sin, weight or sin, you know, like, like two words describing the same thing. No, it's, it's two words describing two separate things, but two separate things that are connected, I believe, that are correlated. There is a weight, and then there is a corresponding sin that, that connects with, that relates to that weight. And it should be laid aside. And again, the context coming off of Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 11, but especially Hebrews 10, especially Hebrews 10 and everything that was said about the ceremonial law of God, the priestly sacrificial system in the old covenant for Israel, and how all these things were types and shadows of the good things to come, but they in themselves were not the substance. Shadow of Christ, but Christ himself being the substance. These things were not pointless because they, they shadowed Christ. They, they served as, as types and shadows pointing towards Christ, who is the true object of saving faith. So they weren't pointless, but they were in fact powerless. The, the priestly sacrificial system in the old covenant for the nation state of Israel, not pointless. It's a shadow. It's an indicator. It's saying something not pointless, but powerless. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. And that's, that's the context that's, that's leading us right to our text today, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. So in the second half of verse 1, when it says, lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely so that you can run with endurance and, and not quit halfway and actually finish the race that's set before you, what weight and what sin do you think the apostle's talking about? He's talking about Judaism. He's talking about what he's been talking about in this entire book of the Bible. He didn't have a brain aneurysm when he started chapter 12. He didn't all of a sudden change topics, change themes. He's not bipolar. That's not what's going on. You know, he's... he's this, this is one of, one of the most brilliant books of the Bible, which is why I believe the Apostle Paul wrote it. I know there's plenty of debate. I get it. Uh, and people, well, it's not like his writing to the Corinthians or to the Galatians or the Ephesians. Yeah, because he's writing to a different audience. He's writing to Jews. 
And he has specific things to say to Gentiles. He has specific things to say to Jews. But it is a systematic argument. And if it wasn't Paul, then then we're meant to believe that Paul had a superior. And I don't believe he did. I I don't believe there was, well, maybe it was Apollos or maybe it was, no, I don't think so. Um, Apollos was a a ferocious preacher. Um, But he was not the intellect, the, the, the intellectual titan that the apostle Paul was. And so I do believe that it was the Apostle Paul. And the reason why it seems different than his other writings is because I think the Apostle Paul was so intellectually superior to all his contemporaries that he wasn't a one-trick pony. So well, it couldn't be Paul because it doesn't sound like Paul. Or Paul is so ingenious that he can write in different modes, that he doesn't just have a one-trick pony writing type of style and that he can actually shift gears in his tone, his methodology, and the way that he constructs an argument based off of his audience and what would be most persuasive to them. Now, you don't have to believe that the Apostle Paul was the human author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be a Christian in the book of Hebrews. You don't have to, but you should. Okay, so all that being said, what's uh, the weight and the corresponding sin? The weight that would slow us down every weight and the sin which clings so closely. I believe the weight is the ceremonial law. Now, again, this is where evangelicals, where we, we get off the rails because I would say for the last, I don't know, for a while, for a long time, uh, evangelicals have been largely, especially in America and in the West and in Europe, largely antinomian, no, nomos law, anti-against. So all that means is that um, I think evangelicals for the most part have been against law. And I think it's because of bad interpretation, bad exegesis of the scripture. People say, we're not under law, we're under grace. Okay, great. How? What does that mean? Because what what people are implicitly saying when they quote that text, what they're eisegeting into the text, not reading out of the text, not exegeting, but eisegeting, imposing their own presuppositions, their own interpretation. What they're, what they're intending to do when people say, we're not under law, we're under grace, is there, what they're trying to say is that the law no longer applies, that there's not actually a moral standard that they should follow. That's not what the Apostle Paul means when he says we're no longer under law, but grace. It means that we're no longer under law in terms of judgment, Because the law has been fulfilled for us by another who we have union with and his righteousness accredited to our account, namely by faith. So no, we're not under law in terms of condemnation, but we're under grace. That does not mean that we're not under law in terms of moral obligation for our obedience. Of course we're called to obey the law. People say, what law do you think we're supposed to obey? Well, now that we're in the New Testament, it's just the law of Christ. Great. Let's parse that out. What's the law of Christ? What does Christ say the law is? Our moral obligation as New Testament Christians. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Great. How? Is that it? And and then it's just ambiguous, and God, God just says basically that if you're a New Testament Christian, you get to personally, based off of your presuppositions and preference, flesh out and, and define what love for God and love for neighbor is? Or is there anything in the scripture that actually fleshes that out for us, that actually defines this is what it looks like to love the Lord your God? Like, for instance, the first table of the moral law of God in the Decalogue, have no other gods before me. Right? Do not make any graven images. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's how you love the Lord your God. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? The second table of the Decalogue. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. And do not covet. 
This is how we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, and how we love our neighbor as ourselves. So the law of Christ is the law of God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. None of the law, listen to this, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. None of the law has passed away. Not a jot or tittle. How do we know this? Because Jesus explicitly said it. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Heaven and earth will pass away before one jot, one tittle, one dotted I, one cross T of the law, speaking about all the Mosaic law, Old Testament law, passes away. And for the record, and this is where it gets a little bit debatable, well, I should say more than debatable, controversial. This is what certain people won't like what I'm about to say. Not necessarily you people, but people on the interweb. <laughs> um, that includes the ceremonial law. Not one jot or tittle. Meaning there's not one law that has ever been given by God, New Testament, Old Testament, moral law, judicial, right, civil codes, and even ceremonial law. Not one of these things will pass away. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, the law word of the Lord will endure forever. So why aren't we still, why, why didn't somebody bring a goat today? Because we need to make a sacrifice if the law hasn't passed away. No, here's the, here's the deal. It had this, even the ceremonial law given to Old Testament Israel under the old covenant, even that has not passed away, but it's been perfectly fulfilled. That's the difference. The reason why we're not making sacrifices isn't because God changed God is immutable. This is doctrine of God, theology proper 101. God is immutable. He is the ancient of days. Behold, I am the Lord. I changeth not so that you, the sons of Jacob, are not consumed. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is not a man that he should change his mind. God doesn't change. And God does nothing in all of history before the cross or after the cross that is arbitrary. Everything God does remains forever, and everything God does, it's changeless, and it is meaningful. It comes with intention. The reason why we're not sacrificing a goat or a bull this morning is not because the law has passed away. It is not because God has changed his mind. It is not because, well, there's a New Testament God who's nice and the Old Testament God who's angry. That's blasphemy. No, the reason why we're not sacrificing an animal today is because there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because Jesus was the final sacrifice and the perfecter, as our text says, of our faith. He finished it. It is finished. He's the author and the finisher. And what I believe, verse 2 of our text, is meant to mean, among many things, at least one thing that God intends in this verse for us to understand, and especially for the immediate audience, these Hebrew Christians, that the Apostle Paul, yes, I believe it's Paul, is writing to, under the inspiration of the Spirit, what I think they're meant to understand is this. You've been doing all this Old Testament ceremonial law stuff. And you weren't wrong to do it. You were commanded by God to do it. It was right to do, but it was never saving. 
What was always saving? Jesus. And guess what? He's not only the finisher, that's why you don't need to do this anymore because he finished your faith. He's the final sufficient once and for all sacrifice, the ultimate lamb of God who truly takes away the sins of the world. Lambs and bulls and goats in the literal sense never took away sin, but also Hebrews says without blood, it is impossible to forgive sin, right? Two verses, figure it out. It seems like a riddle. Right, Two verses that seemingly, uh, they, they, they appear to contradict, but they don't. One says, without blood, it is impossible to forgive sin. And then the other one says, the blood of bulls and goats never forgave sin, never atoned for sin. So you got to have blood, but then blood doesn't work. Well, the solution is simple. Which kind of blood? It's got to be blood, but not this blood, Christ blood. That's the answer. It's very, very simple. And so, because Christ's blood has now been shed in real time in human history, the Lamb of God has come to fulfillment, to fruition, and has died a sinner's death on the cross under the wrath of God, drinking the cup. Let this cup pass from me, but ultimately not my will, but your will be done. It was God's will, the triune God's will, including Christ in his divinity, his will as well, to drink the cup, that it would not, in fact, pass over Christ, and it didn't pass over Christ so that it could pass over you. This cup of God's white hot wrath, it passes over us as we cry out to God in our prayers for mercy. God answers our prayer for the cup to pass over us because God didn't answer Christ's prayer. And he caused the cup to fall on him. And Jesus on the cross, he drank every single drop of the white hot wrath of God. He is the ultimate lamb of God who drinks the wrath of God for the the forgiveness of the sins of many. He takes away the sins of the world. Not one jot, not one tittle of all God's law will ever pass away. But in the case of the ceremonial law of God under the old covenant given to the nation state of Israel, this law hasn't passed away, but it has been perfected, completed, finished, fulfilled. By Christ. Thanks so much for listening. But real quick, before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment, and leave us a five star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.